for those of you who are wondering about that uh, version of the text, it comes from, as Ruth, uh, Ruth, as Kristen mentioned, from the voice translation, which is a more narrative uh, uh, translation of the scriptures. It's, it's one that's very helpful for imagery and meditation and thinking about the meaning of what is written rather than a more literal and word-by-word kind of approach, which is what we tend to use for our studying. I hope that that caught your attention and your imagination as you heard again some of these familiar words described in a new way. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is familiar for so many of us because it has formed the basis on what we understand discipleship following Jesus to look like in the life of a believer, in the life of the church, as a people of God, as a kingdom of God. The title of our series these last four or five weeks has been The Jesus Manifesto. Just as a brief reminder, a manifesto is when a person or a prophet or Someone, an author, writes down and says, this is my vision for the way things ought to be or truly are or truly will be. Jesus here in this collection of teachings and sayings that Matthew has shared in these two chapter, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is a manifesto, a description, a vision for what the kingdom of God is like, what the ways of, those, of this kingdom are, what the character and nature of those who inhabit the kingdom is like, what the behaviors and morals and ethical practices of those who inhabit that ki- kingdom are the way that they think about the world that they inhabit, the way that they engage in a relationship with this king, this God who calls them. And today, as we end this series, Matthew chapter 7, the last half of the chapter, we hear Jesus calling us, choose a path. You've heard what the kingdom is like. I've told you what it means to be in the kingdom. I've told you who the king is. And now you need to choose. You can't walk on two paths at one time. And then he goes through four or five different ways of thinking about this choice that is in front of us. This choosing of a path that leads to a life within the kingdom of God or a path that goes downhill quietly and quickly off to another place, what he calls the way of destruction. You know, in this life of faith that we as the church, we as the people of God, those who have studied scripture, those who calls Jesus Lord, we have tried to live this out faithfully in different ways. 
And I think if you've been paying attention over the last number of weeks, you'll realize that Jesus has been sharing some pretty hard things with us. He even admits it here in this text. He says, this is a hard path. So as we've tried to live this out, we've, we've come to different conclusions throughout history about what it means to respond to this message of this Jesus manifesto. For some in history, and particularly in our own uh, Mennonite history, this, this group from northern Europe that was trying to respond faithfully to the scriptures and to live according to the way of the early church, as the Reformation was happening, moving away from some of the practices that had crept into the life of the Catholic Church over centuries. They were trying to renew and revive a Jesus way of living. And as they tried to do that, they lived under persecution and they had to flee and establish places of safety where they could live and practice according to what they thought the scriptures were teaching. And over time, that need to to be in a place of safety in order to, to practice their faith turned into a practice of trying to get away from anything in the world that might get in the way of living that life. A practice of separation Once uh, in our history, uh, the people that were part of this group called the Mennonites, eventually a large majority of them emigrated here to Manitoba in Canada, a land of peace and prosperity and freedom. And yet even within that, we found reasons why we needed to separate ourselves out. And eventually there were groups that said, this is, there's too much worldliness here in this place. We've got to get away so we can be faithful. And so they left and they went to, to remote places like rural Mexico and they lived there for a while until that got too worldly. And then they went further. They went to places like Bolivia in South America, the least developed nation in South America where they could be away from the world. Some of you will know that Kathy and I and our family served for several years with Mennonite Central Committee in Bolivia. One of the things that we did in our work there was to spend time with those colonies of believers, of Mennonites, ethnic Mennonites, who had tried to run away from the world to shut out all of the bad things that were in the world so that they could be faithful What did we find on the colonies? What did we find in those places far away from the hustle and bustle of city life and civilization, if you want to call it that? We found that the temptations of the world and the brokenness of people's hearts was there and present and alive just like it was in downtown Toronto or Winnipeg or the most urban place that you can think of. We have learned that to be a separate, called-out people must mean something more than simply being distant and putting up big, big walls so that we can be safe from the world around us. 
At some points in our history, we have thought of this call to be kingdom people as being for those who are, who are you know, the really special spiritual ones among us. They're going to be our examples and our guides. In, in earlier times of Christianity, we had these groups of people who would go and live in monasteries or choose a path such as the priesthood in which they were the ones who were called to live this hard way as an example and as a help to the rest of us for whom it's just, it was just too much. And so we have these over here that are going to pave the way and we're going we're to go along with them and we're going to ride their coattails, as it were, in the kingdom. We have learned that the call to faithfulness, the call to be kingdom people, children of God, is for each and every one. Your pastor cannot save you. And in a modern context, the faith of your parents does not save you. Each must choose for themselves this kingdom way. One of the responses that has happened also in our history of faith is that we have read these texts and said, not only is this hard, this is just unrealistic. In fact, it's impossible for anyone to live this way. And since it's impossible, that must mean that Jesus isn't really asking us to do this. It's setting up an ideal to demonstrate for us just how far we are from God, how impossible this all is. And so let's, we're just going to give up any hope of actually doing any of this. And we're just going to do our best, get through life as best as we can, and rely on the mercy of God, because God is merciful, and God is gracious, and God does forgive. So then let's just... Let's just not even try. Let's just rely on that. What we have learned and what we recognize, though, is that when it comes to the grace that we are given in Jesus Christ, it is a costly grace. There is a price that has been paid for that grace, for that first forgiveness and mercy. And to live in such a way that just takes it for granted and says, oh, well, I don't need to worry about it. God will take care of it. Is to cheapen that grace. Is to disregard God's will and desire for our lives and the fullness of the life that we are to find in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit that is at work within us, regenerating us, restoring us, reconciling us, sanctifying us. And I used a whole bunch of big words there that all mean God wants to change our hearts and bring us close to him. Not to sit at a distance and say, one day, one day, one day which describes another way that the church has tried to come to grips with these texts at times. And we've said, well, 
we do believe that this is God's will, and we do believe that God will do this, and that God can do this, but it's for that time that is coming. You know, that, that, that time when all things have been made right, when Jesus fully rules on the throne over all things, and this whole world is subject to his authority, that's when we see this vision, this manifesto actually being lived out in reality and day to day. All of these attempts to deal with this passage, this manifesto, Matthew 5 through 7, separating ourselves out and building up walls, having just some who are the spiritual elite to lead the way, just doing our best and hoping that the mercy of God will save us anyway, or thinking that this isn't for me and for us here now, it's for another time and another place. All of these do not seriously engage Jesus and his call to us to hear his voice, to act on his words. The Jesus manifesto that calls us to choose the kingdom of God says that we are to live, to act, to think, to be people who desire to be a part of the kingdom of God here and now and to walk in that relationship with God, reconciled to him as beloved children. It is for you and it is for me and it is for today. And we must choose today. So let's look at a few of the things that Jesus says in this passage about choosing. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 15, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And then there's a phrase that is, that is hard to hear. And that as a pastor breaks me. And there are few who find it. Few who find it. What does it mean that there's a narrow gate that leads to a narrow way? And there's a wide gate that leads to a wide and broad path that many take. It means that the way into the kingdom of God the way into a reconciled relationship with God in which we are called his beloved children takes attention, takes intention. Our eyes must be open to see it because if our eyes are not open, we will miss it. Not only must we know what the way to the kingdom is through Jesus Christ himself, but we must be learned to recognize it and then to live by it. What is a narrow path? What is a narrow path? A narrow path means that if you 
are not paying attention to where it leads, you may look up and realize that you're no longer on it. Why is the wide way so filled with so many? It's because it's easy. You just go along and go along and go along. And it won't go where you think it will. We are called to be attentive, to find the narrow gate, to be able to see it. It doesn't mean, though, that this narrow path that we are on is a path that we walk alone. In fact, we know that we walk it best when we walk it together with our fellow believers, with other children of God, not in the sense of separating ourselves out in the way that we talked about earlier, but in companionship, in being strengthened and affirmed, where our brother taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, look, I think the path is turning. Let us turn together with the path. When our sister says, hey, hold on a minute, I think we need to pause and look again at the guide for this path because it's hard to discern what the next step ought to be. There's a, a story that I think lives within the hearts of my generation uh, in a way that we often lean on. It's called The Lord of the Rings. You may have heard of it. <laughs> in which Tolkien talks about this journey to deal with a significant issue, to destroy darkness and evil. And you may disagree with me, but in this group of companions who take on this journey, there are a number of these creatures, people called hobbits. And you might assume because Frodo is the one who carries the ring that Frodo is the greatest hobbit of them all. But he is not. Who is the greatest hobbit of them all? Sam. Sam. Samwise Gamgee, the greatest hobbit of them all. Why? because he was a faithful companion. When, he, when, his, when Frodo, who was called to do the terrible task, could not do it on his own, it was Sam who carries him. We do not walk this narrow, hard path alone. The ones who are faithful and walk with us and bear the load together with us, this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. You may have also heard in our culture this phrase that says, the journey is the thing, not the destination. Have you heard that before? Now there's truth in it. And it's a really nice saying. It's a way of saying, hey, don't just always think about what's going to happen at the end, but be present in where you are. It's a truth, but it is not necessarily a, 
a truth that contains the whole of truth. Because if you are on a journey and, in, and focused on the journey, but you actually don't have a destination in mind, you're not on a journey at all. You are simply wandering around. We are on a journey. We are on a path, but there is a destination that we are called to that we must keep firmly fixed in our hearts. Along the way, we're going to hear all kinds of other voices around us saying, hey, I think this is the way you want to go. I think this is the way that is the way that will get us where we want to go. And Jesus says, listen carefully. In verses 15 to 20, he talks about those who are false prophets. Those who would try to get you onto a different path. He says, discern. You need to test the words of those who would call you onto certain paths. Because they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. What does he mean that you will know them by their fruit? Well, when a leader or a teacher ends up glorifying themselves rather than Christ, that is not the way of the kingdom. When the leader is feeding their own appetites and their own need for acknowledgement or for their own well-being at the expense of those that they are supposed to be ministering to, you know that that is not the way of the kingdom. We must test what we hear if we are to walk in the way of the kingdom. He goes on in 21 to 23 to say, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into this kingdom. Why is that? He says, I never knew you. Even though you did all this stuff, even though you did even these amazing things in my name, I didn't know you. What Jesus shares with us about the kingdom is that this is a relationship in which we submit ourselves to him as Lord. How can you call someone Lord when you do not actually do what the Lord, your master, your king asks of you? You know who your king is because that's who you follow. We are often tempted because of our relationship or our desire to be known as part of something that we say the words, Lord, Lord. But as soon as no one's watching, it's my way, not the king's way. Finally, at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. He uses this parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Rains will come, floods will come, trials will come. It's not a question of whether these things will or won't. They will. But when we build our lives, when we make our choice, 
based on what we see only right in front of us, things are good, I'm fine, we're doing well, and we don't anticipate, we don't look ahead, we don't discern as to what the realities will be in the future, we will end up choosing foolishly. Jesus says this world has a lot to throw at us. If we are to be a part of the kingdom, we need to take it to heart and build on something that is solid and will last, not just now when things are good and the sun is shining, but when the storm comes. Because the storm will come, not only the storms of life, but the day of judgment when God sets all things right and the books are opened and all that we have done is brought before the throne. Oh, to have a life built on the rock, a life of wisdom, a kingdom life. At the end of this text, in Matthew chapter 7, there's a commentary about how it's received. It says that they were astounded at his teaching. The word that is actually in the text can be translated a number of ways. Astounded is, is definitely a really good choice. It can also mean overwhelmed. It can also mean shocked. Why were the people who heard this message of Jesus, this manifesto, why were they shocked? Why were they overwhelmed? Why were they astounded and amazed? It says, because he taught like one who had authority. You see, in, in that day, in that time when a rabbi would teach, they would teach by saying, the prophets of long ago said this and this and this, and that's what we try to do. Or this other rabbi in this time and this interpreted it this way, and they would always refer to others. But when Jesus taught, he said, this is what God wants. This is it, straight up. I'm not using references. I'm not, I'm not referring to somebody else. I'm not, this is it. This is the word of God for you today, for here, for now. And this is the challenge. This is the question that we have in front of us. Which way will you choose? It's a, it's a clear question. Jesus has laid out for us what the kingdom of God looks like. What it means to walk in the ways of the kingdom, live into the law of the kingdom and the king of, of, this, of this heavenly kingdom to have a mindset and a heart that is set on the things of the kingdom? You have heard. The question is, will you see and enter the narrow gate?